the excitement that's ours this morning as we assemble and as we gather is truly a heartfelt matter as we adore and praise the God of heaven who has not only made this day possible but made each of our lives possible and allowed us the privilege of assembling and gathering even as we are at this moment. As we also continue to make thoughts and plans for our gospel meeting that begins again a week from today, let's continue to keep in mind the things associated with it as Brother Lester mentioned just a moment ago, Brother Carl Sims will be coming and delivering the lessons. He'll be our speaker for the course of that meeting, beginning on Sunday morning at 9.30 and then 10.30. And then after a fellowship meal, a luncheon after that, then a 2 o'clock service on Sunday afternoon. And then the next service will then again be on Monday night. So we'll not meet at the normal 5.30 time slot next, next Monday afternoon, next Sunday afternoon. At this point, as we continue to work toward and think about that, I think there's some additional flyers available there on the back row. So if you'd like to take one or two with you and share them and distribute them, use them to announce and advertise the meeting, that's the reason that our elders have had them printed, and certainly that would be a very good thing for each of us to be able to do. As always, let's continue to pray for that meeting that the words that are spoken, the lessons that are brought, will in fact be directly in tune with what is most needful and what is most the matter that would bring you and me into closer association with the God of heaven and His will for us. This morning as we turn our attention to this period of our service, this lesson that's entitled Biblical Studies About Mothers, we do know, of course, that today is that day set aside as the second Sunday in May each year, the celebration of Mother's Day. It's a very special day in the sense that it gives us a particular opportunity to honor the woman who brought us into this world, the woman who in fact influenced us in so many ways in life. And so for the next few moments today, rather than give some thought to what society or culture may say about that, Let's in fact use the Word of God to help us appreciate more thoroughly the role of mothers and also help each of us aspire to be the kind of individual we can be and certainly for any woman to be the kind of mother you can be, the kind of influential person in the lives of those who are your children and even those whom you also have opportunity to impact. Those, those features and those issues perhaps bring us to these points. By way of introduction, you might notice that the word mother, or some form of it, in fact occurs some 28 times in the sacred scriptures, that word directly. Now there are many other occurrences in which a woman is described as being a mother, but that very word per se isn't directly used. The spanning of it covers virtually the whole Bible. Eve is called the mother of all living in Genesis 3 verse 20. And as we come even to the heart of the New Testament, we also well appreciate that admonition given to one and all as children. Honor thy father and thy mother, for this is the first commandment with promise, Ephesians 6 verse 2. It is with all that in mind that we appreciate this. Every individual is unique. Every single person is different in some way from every other person. But it nonetheless is the case that God has provided in His Word some features, some characteristics that any person who is a woman ought to desire to have if she is to be a godly mother. And it is those set of characteristics I would invite us to consider this morning. I certainly would not say that this list is exhaustive. However, I suspect we will indeed touch at some point on almost every feature that might appear in the life of such a woman. 
It is with that in mind. Let's consider our first one as we turn the page and give thought to strength of character. Might we begin giving a few thoughts and a few considerations to what I've entitled strength of character. We understand well that by the way that God has fashioned and made men and women, the woman is called the weaker vessel in 1 Peter 3, 7. Physically, she tends not to have the physical, muscular, and bodily build in terms of bone and structure muscle as a man does. But that does not mean she is to be weak of character. It doesn't mean that she is to be, if you will, along that line of weakness when it comes to the integrity associated with the kind of character that the Word of God upholds. It is for that reason I would invite you to notice that a woman who is a mother is to be a woman of strength because she will need to be so to lead children, to influence them because children can be strong, they can be independent, they can be individuals who so often wish to have their own way. And yet a woman will need to have that interior strength so that she can properly set before them that which she should. Some issues that surround that matter of strength does cause us to see a bit of contrast, doesn't it? We live in a world where it's far more often in many ways to see compromise instead of conviction. In so many ways, it's more natural to see impropriety instead of direct integrity and a willingness and deliberate intent to remain firm and strong with what really is the intent of character. No wonder the Bible on so many occasions speaks like this. I'd like to read just a few verses from the 31st chapter of Proverbs. This is that rather well-known passage that describes the virtuous woman, but not just a virtuous woman, it's clear she was a mother. And listen to some of the words that are stated about her. She seeketh wool and flax, this is verse 13, and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant's ships, she bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hand she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. That verse, verse number 17, she girdeth her loins with strength. Again, the emphasis of the inspired writer is not on her muscular build. It is on the strength of her character. The character associated with the kind of woman that she is and the intent and priority that she has given to life. Eight verses later in verse 25, Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. Strength and honor are her clothing. One of the interesting features about Hebrew poetry, Hebrew usage of verse, if you will, is a passage like that one where two concepts are so often joined in length, strength and honor. We each appreciate a mother who has been given to honor. She has striven to lead her life in such a way that compromise was not the order of the day, but rather she was convicted and deliberately so in matters that were of utmost godly importance, and she determined not only to lead that herself, but to impact her children with that same appreciation. Strength of character, that isn't all. You'll notice some other examples, some other features, not only from this text but others. I think about Zipporah. 
We read in Exodus chapter 4 of a woman. And though Moses takes the spotlight most of the time in the book of Exodus, on this occasion Moses had failed. He had not done that which was his duty in the circumcision of his son, and it was Zipporah, his wife, who took the reins of that matter and took care of it. Strength of character? It certainly seems so. She was a woman who desired thus, you see, to carry out that which was the bidding of God. And as she did that, think about the implications for all of us when we give thought to strength of character. In 1 Timothy 4, verse number 12, the inspired writer, not only speaking to mothers, but yea, to all of us, he encouraged us to be an example. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in verity, in faith. We notice that there was an emphasis then on being an example so that others could look upon the life, appreciate that upon which it's based, and is happy to appreciate its lessons and learn from them. You and I could be thankful for a mother who set examples like that, who disciplined us when needed, who corrected us when needed, because it was not that she was out to get us, but rather she was concerned. And she wanted and she knew that the best citizen and the best person and the best aptitude for success would come with her lessons of correction. Strength of character. Look at yet another passage if you would. We notice in Romans 12 verse number 1, the admonition that the inspired apostle has not only given, let's say, to women who are mothers, but yea, to all of us. An admonition that in fact reads somewhat like this. We all are admonished to, in fact, set before ourselves the deliberate character and the strong desire to understand that we have a God in heaven. And we need to, more than anything, serve Him. Not conforming ourselves to this world, you see, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. No wonder He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Pausing at that point to notice, you and I perhaps can reflect upon times that mother did that very thing. She knew that it wasn't going to be the popular decision. The kids aren't going to like it. I didn't like it, but yet she said, you're not going to do that. That's just not appropriate, and you're not going to do that as long as you live in this house. Maybe you and I can recollect times and circumstances when strength of character led her to be stern, led her to be very careful in what she said. I would, in fact, close that particular thought by reminding us one more time of this. If I should yet be the servant of men, I would not be the servant of Christ. Those who seek to please men, those who seek to be the most popular, sometimes run into trouble, and Mother knew that. And you and I would be wise to know that as well. Not only is this a characteristic that a godly mother would have, there are others, and let's look at one of them as well. In addition to strength of character, we notice the very word care, C-A-R-E, care. In fact, the Bible speaks much about the care that a godly woman will exercise toward certainly her family, 
But as these kinds of thoughts are given, you'll notice that many things this godly woman understands. She understands that there's a role for which God has prepared her, a role that no one else in that family can occupy. Dad can't do it. The children can't do it. She has been uniquely equipped with certain talents, certain perspectives, certain capabilities, and those are needful if that family is to run properly and to run smoothly, if the things are to take place as they should. And a godly woman, as she fulfills her role, not only appreciates that fact, but in fact longs for the understanding and the continued exercise of those abilities and gifts. The Bible, as it addresses those points, perhaps begins like this. In Titus 2 verse 4, as Paul gave a listing of certain characteristics, if we just select two of them, first of all, and I put it in quotation marks, this godly woman is said to be a worker. We notice that she's busy. There's so many things to be done in a home, and we all understand that. But it also says, in a somewhat distinctive way, that at home, and that highlights the very point that I made just a moment ago. Although she may work out of the home, it certainly is true that as the home runs and takes care of and operates as God would have it to be, she will be a critical cog in it, a very critical person and portion to ensure that that takes place. And thus, many of her thoughts, much of her investment of attention will be directed toward that home. Look at just a few of the other things we might note about that virtuous woman. I read from Proverbs 31 just a moment ago, and that very section of verses to which we turned our attention, verse 13 again highlights this thought. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. You might notice it doesn't say that there were pleasantries involved and it doesn't say there were conveniences, but she did it. Why? Because the family was in need of it. And because out of her love for them, she knew that that was what needed to be done. You'll notice furthermore in verse 15, She riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household. The things that happen in a family, as we each know, often are not dictated by convenience. Children don't get sick just in the daytime. Troubles and problems and injuries don't just happen in the daytime. And they don't just happen on Saturday. And yet, mother is there, be it in the middle of the night or otherwise, to assist, to help, to bandage, to care, to even rush to the hospital if that's what's needed. Those issues and those considerations remind us that there perhaps is yet another verse to notice. Look at verse 21 with me. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. Although there may be others who, due to negligence or laziness or otherwise, nonetheless are somewhat fearful for the weather coming, this godly woman isn't because she's prepared and she has helped the family to be as well. Verse 27, She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. Care. The duties and obligations of life bring many things that can be a challenging matter. The care of a mother can be a special thing. Perhaps that's highlighted in the example of Samuel's beloved mother, Hannah. In 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2, we read about a woman who at first was barren, but she prayed earnestly to God for a, for a child. 
God heard that prayer and blessed her with a son whom they named Samuel. We notice, though, that as she fulfilled her duty and promise by turning him over to Eli for his tutelage and mastery there at the temple, we quickly appreciate that she nonetheless, in chapter 2, verse 19, every year brought him a coat. She wanted to ensure that he had what was needful, that he had what was needed to brave the elements of the cold and the issues that surrounded it. And so she took care to provide for that by bringing him that very thing. Perhaps you'll see near the bottom of that slide, many more things might be noted from that virtuous woman. A few verses that we haven't touched on yet would be these. Notice verse 19. She layeth her hands to the spindle and her hands to the distaff. Three verses later, she maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Clothing is silk and purple. Perhaps enough from that chapter has been noted to remind us the special set of care and work that goes with being a mother. When a man and woman make that decision to bring a child into the world, a great deal of work and effort will be involved, and a great deal of consideration day and night will follow for the remainder of life concerning that child, and a mother who is a godly one will care for that child, not intentionally harming or hurting, not intentionally, in fact, distancing, but rather caring. These two concepts, care and strength of character, maybe prompt us to consider a third one. This third one brings us to this point. We read especially in the book of Proverbs, twice the exact phrase occurs, the law of thy mother. The law of thy mother, and the word is L-A-W. What might the inspired writer have had in mind? Could it not in fact be this? That godly mother is an individual who not only appreciates the role of law, but in fact demands it of her children in the sense that she respects the nature of it, the consequences that follow from it, and the issue that it brings in terms of existence. Law. All of us often reflect upon the nature of law. We know there are speed limits, and we understand that there are various regulations set forth by the local, federal, and state governments. Law. And we're expected to abide by them. But we know in the home, mother may well have laws too that she puts in place due to her experience, her wisdom, and her understanding. These laws. Notice again what the inspired writer said. He said, respect the law of thy mother. Perhaps you and I can recollect the instances of the laws that mother put in place. The inspired writer reminds us that respect those laws and obey them. As we give some thought to that very matter, in Proverbs 1 verse 8 and Proverbs 6 verse 20 are the two passages especially of interest. It is again noted that even though mention is made about the law of the father, it's also to be noted the law of the mother is also recognized and mentioned. We have many mothers in the audience today. No doubt, as you give thought to the laws you've put in place for your children, the issues that you have put in place concerning their behavior and the way that they will dress and the way that they will act and the kind of talk that they will use, always help make sure that law is in accordance to the will of God. And youngsters, pay attention to the law of thy mother. Give heed to it, respect it, and understand 
that she isn't simply being trivial, but rather that that law she puts in place is due to her understanding of the obligation that God has bequeathed to her and the realization that her role as mother leads her for your betterment to assert what she does. Quite often as we give thought to our current society, sometimes laws in the home seem to have taken a back seat to personal rights. How often have we seen the court side with the child? Now, I'm not in any way saying parents should abuse or in any way purposefully and deliberately harm children. That certainly is condemned all the way through the Holy Scriptures. But the law also needs to respect that in the home, what dad and mother say is the law, and as long as it's not harmful and unreasonable, in the sense that, again, it purposefully harms the child, they should be able to carry out their discipline. They should be able to, in fact, do that which God has given them to do in terms of law. No doubt many of us have been bettered by the application of that law when we violated it. At this point, you perhaps can also see on that slide, Jesus Himself in Luke chapter 2. He was at the age of 12 when Joseph and Mary took him to celebrate that Passover. As that scene unfolds before us, we notice he had been gone from them for three days. He was in the midst of the doctors and others there making discussion of the things concerning the law. But we notice in verse 51 that Jesus went down following that and was subject unto them. doesn't say he was just subject unto Joseph. He was subject unto Mary as well. She was his mother. When you and I reflect upon that, here was the Son of God, the greatest being of all, and yet he was subject. While he was in that period of childhood, while he was in that period here in the flesh, he was subject to her, and he was subject to him. Doesn't that paint a grand picture of all of us as we think about our childhood and even the children with which we are blessed this day and time? how that they need to learn also to be respectful and to be obedient to their parents? Is that not exactly what we read in Ephesians 6? Children, obey your parents, plural, in the Lord, for this is right. Understand that what mother says is important. Don't laugh her off. Don't pretend she doesn't exist. Don't ignore her. Don't neglect her. Understand she is one given by God various and sundry duties of life. As she speaks and as she gives commandment, as she speaks concerning the matters of greatest importance, listen to her. You may be surprised what the years of wisdom may have brought her to say. Besides the fact of law, let's consider yet another. As we think about the nature of, again, what a godly mother will be, isn't it fair to say that love will be a critical element of her well-being? She is commanded, isn't she, to love her husband, Titus 2 verse 4. She is commanded to love her children, same verse, Titus 2 verse 4. As the love emanates in her life, we understand biblical love is a love that leads one to act in the way that's in the best interest of its object. She doesn't behave selfishly. She behaves selflessly quite often inconveniencing herself, sacrificing what her interests and desires might be for others. That's always a very touching and impressive thing, isn't it? How often does mother set aside what she would prefer because the kids want something different? 
because the husband wants something different. Because others have a desire for something that's separate. We notice that love leads one to act in many powerful ways. I've listed a few verses for your consideration. When we reflect on the example of Moses' mother, Jochebed, in Exodus chapters 2 and 3, we learn that, of course, the commandment from the Pharaoh had been given that the baby boys are to be slain. However, Jochebed just couldn't bear to do that. And so she and her husband put him in a basket, and there he was preserved by the great providence of God. You see, she had a sufficient love for that little baby boy, a love that prompted her to try to save him, even if it meant terrible things for her. What if they'd been caught putting that basket in the water? What if she had found out? What if others had learned? We notice later, of course, God took care of all of that, and she ended up being able to raise or at least have great influence as she was his nurse. Amazing, isn't it? That that love prompted her to not destroy him. That was beyond her thought at that time. Today, it would still be true for any loving mother to see her child destroyed when she could do otherwise. The care and the thought that goes with this issue in love challenges us to see again that love by its presentation in the Scriptures is this. That act on the part of one toward another for the best interest of the object. What's in the best interest of that husband and those children? The mother, as she seeks in love to pursue it, will do that. Didn't Jesus say in Acts twenty thirty five, It is more blessed to give than to receive. That passage has so many applications, not the least of which would be the character of one's life with respect to a godly mother. To this point, as we've listed these characteristics, perhaps we can reflect in the observation of them in the lives of mothers that we have witnessed and observed, maybe in the life of our own mother. All the while, of course, there is one matter that remains. We have talked about a godly mother. Each individual woman has her own capabilities, the characteristics by which she is defined, the individualities that are her. But if she's a godly mother, all of these things we've discussed will be a part of the kind of person that she is. We come, though, to the godly emphasis. If she is a godly mother, there are some more things beside these that must be added. This emphasis upon that which is godly this emphasis upon that which is scriptural and pres presented by the Word of God. Consider some of these matters with me. Doesn't it touch upon the subject of priority? Each of us, be us man or woman, obviously make choices of priority in life. What is most important to me and what is most important to you? For a godly mother... What's most important, as it should be for all of us, revolves around the application of the Word of God. For that is the ultimate judge, and that's what's going to, in fact, be the very thing before which we come on that day of judgment. What about then my priority in life? For me, is it more important to be popular, to be famous, to be rich, to be wealthy, or is it more important to be godly? We should be thankful for a godly mother. Someone who, of course, provided, as all these other things have presented, but above all other things, does not forsake the matter of spirituality. Look at some bad examples. 
the Bible does present us some individuals who were not godly mothers. Let us look at some of the mistakes they made, at least briefly, and then we'll close this thought by looking at some good examples. One can make mention of Jezebel in 1 Kings 22, verse 52. Near the very last verse in that book, we notice that something very critical is stated about Ahaziah. Here was one who had ascended to the throne, and he was the next king in Israel. But of him it is said he walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother. You see, he didn't only follow what dad had exemplified before him, he also followed what mom had exemplified. And his mother, unfortunately, was Jezebel. She encouraged him in the way of idolatry. She encouraged him in the way of looseness concerning the things of God. In fact, she had little, if any, interest in the matters of scripturality. Ahaziah followed well, much to his tragic and sad end. When you give thought to the reign of Ahaziah, it wasn't a very good reign in the days of ancient Israel. Many things happened that were not terribly good, and part of it, in fact, had to be his ungodliness, prompted, no doubt, in part by the example of his own mother. Look at yet another example. This time, we also see a different person named Ahaziah. As we study that carefully, we notice two different kings with the same name. This one, his mother was Athaliah, arguably the second most wicked woman in the Old Testament. Again, much in sadness, he too wasn't blessed with a godly mother. And so, as you reflect upon the reign of this Ahaziah, it too was a very dark period, a time when things did not go smoothly and well. This Ahaziah, of which we read in 2 Chronicles 22.3, it also is there said, he walked in the ways of his mother. In sadness, when we reflect upon that, how blessed should we be and thankful for all godly mothers, those very much unlike Athaliah and very much unlike Jezebel. Because doesn't that turn us to think about some other examples? What about those brighter ones, those more positive and those very much more of interest to us. When we read about Timothy in the New Testament, our mind no doubt races to his mother. After all, Timothy's father, we're told, was a Greek in Acts chapter 16. And we're also reminded that no other mention is made of the men, members of his family. But we are told of his mother in 2 Timothy 1 verse 5. Her name, in fact, was Eunice. And we're also told of his grandmother. Her name was Lois. Of them, though, what a volume is stated when it says, when Paul wrote concerning the unfeigned faith that was in them. An unfeigned faith meaning genuine, real, not hypocritical in any way. This woman, Eunice, was a woman of faith. Spiritual emphasis, spiritual character, desire to be right with God. In addition, we notice... In 2 Timothy 3.15, the following statement is also made. And the conclusion is a rather evident one. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, From a babe thou hast known the holy scriptures. It certainly would thus seem that Eunice and Lois had a critical element to play in helping him learn to know the Word of God, instilling it within him, living it before him, helping him to see the greatness that would come along with it. Two women in that instance what godly mothers apparently they were. Consider what Timothy came to be. 
In Acts chapter 16, when Paul, in fact, desired him to go along on the journey, he left and he went. His consideration of the things of God was that keen and that acute. His consideration of what God would have him to be was that special and that strong. We notice that two of the New Testament books were written to this man. And he was a gospel preacher there in the area. When he preached that gospel in that special set of cities and he was Paul's companion, what a great aid he was in the propagation of truth in the first century. Timothy, what an influence his mother had. At this point in the lesson this morning, isn't it amazing then that when we see a woman who understands Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, that we find a woman whose priorities are tuned correctly, whose consideration is properly oriented. That kind of observation prompts us to be thankful for godly mothers, for what influence they have. As we come near the close of this lesson this morning, how refreshing then it is to notice that in 3 John verse 4, we have this tiny little mention. How thankful and how great it was to see your children walking in truth. When John wrote that, he wrote the special nature and how prized it was for him to see his children, those whom he had occasion to influence, walking in truth. There's no doubt that for a godly mother, that still is such a special application for her to see her children as faithful Christians, knowing in part that she has helped influence them, mold them, and set them on a lifelong course of faithful obedience to the commandments of the God of heaven. As we're thankful for mothers like that, it brings us to the closing observation in the lesson this morning, and I put it in the form of the conclusion. We've only looked at five characteristics. Perhaps we've touched on at least briefly many that could also be listed and named. But we've noted the role that love plays in these things, the character of the law of thy mother, the observation that comes with a spiritual emphasis, the nature of care that she naturally sets forth, and that very first one that we observe, the integrity and the strength of her character. This very day, we're going to stand in a moment and sing a song of encouragement. And as we do that, may we each in wisdom reflect upon godliness. We've highlighted a godly mother today, but quite frankly, many of the attributes of godliness we all are admonished to have. What about your life and mine this very day? Are you a godly example to those about you, your spouse, your children, otherwise? If not, why not make some corrections starting this very day? If we could be of assistance to perhaps an alien sinner in the audience, one who has never rendered initial obedience to the cause of the Master, why not come forward today? A congregation of people could rejoice and celebrate with you as you are immersed and thus emerge as a child of God. The gospel plan of salvation that's involved in that is to hear the word of the Lord, to repent of your sins, believe, of course, following that, and in so doing, to confess the name of Christ and to be baptized. If we could assist one as an, alien, as an erring child of God, one who needs to come back to his or her first love, why not do that today as well? Let us pray with you and for you. If either of these needs might be the need of your life today, would you not in fact come forward and let that be known while together we stand and while we sing?